0: Well, good morning. I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here, getting excited about my pizza. Whether you are cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there's room for you here. This is a safe place for you to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. The round reminds us that we're all active participants as we stay on this journey together. We're all here to receive something this morning. We also all have something to give, so as we soak in the grace and truth of God's love, we can also pour out love by serving others. One of the things I love about our church family, a lot of things, but one of the things is that we have multiple people from all six of the inhabited continents in our congregation. Now, you probably could have guessed that we had multiple people from North America in our congregation, but in fact, we have multiple people from all six of the inhabited continents in our congregation. And so, this gives us a very interesting and a strong connection to Christians more globally and to the Christian movement more globally. Christian movement is spread out all around the world. It is the least constrained by culture movement of anything in the world, and so we have a a really strong connection to that uh, even in this little college town in Davidson, North Carolina. This is important because it is going to relate to our series on the Holy Spirit. We're in the midst of a series of sermons about God the Holy Spirit, looking at the person and the work of God the Holy Spirit. Christians believe that God is Trinity, In other words, a tri unity. That's where we get the word. God is Trinity. God is both three in persons and one in essence. Now, how God can be both three and one is a wondrous mystery. God is more complex, God is more wondrous than our minds can fully comprehend. Now, in the end, that's the kind of God I want to worship. I want to worship a God that I can know, but I cannot fully understand. I don't want to be able to wrap my mind all the way around God. That wouldn't be much of a God. And so Christians uh, worship this wondrous God that exists in three persons, and those persons are God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the one of those that is generally people are most unsure about, whether as a Christian or just someone trying to explore the Christian faith, the one people are usually most unsure about is God the Holy Spirit. Who is God the Holy Spirit? What does God the Holy Spirit do? We've been doing this series for a couple weeks, so Holly talked about how the Spirit gives gifts to serve others. Uh, Dr. Bud talked about how the Spirit convicts us. The Spirit does not condemn us, but the Spirit convicts us. But if you were to ask Christians internationally, if you were to ask Christians throughout the world, especially outside of Western civilization, if you were to ask them, what does the Holy Spirit do, there would absolutely be one definitive answer, and that would be, the Holy Spirit gives us power. And and typically what they mean by this is, the Holy Spirit empowers supernatural acts, especially miracles and healing. And in fact, this is an important part of what the Holy Spirit does. And Christians from the developing world are far more eager and far more comfortable generally talking about the miraculous things that the Holy Spirit has done in their lives and talking about the miraculous things the Holy Spirit has done in the lives of people they know. This is something that we could learn from the billion or so Christians alive today in the developing world. There's a lot of things. This is one of them. I, for instance, could point to an example in my own life where I believe God the Holy Spirit empowered me to do something interna- uh, something uh, supernatural. Switch back. There was a time, and I, I could go into it at length, but this is a long sermon enough as it is, where I believe God the Holy Spirit did empower me to do something supernatural that was not uh, describable. We've had this in the life of our church. We have uh, had people who are running out of medical options, and we sent folks from the church to pray for that person, and they got better. Again, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. I can introduce you to someone in our congregation who nearly ruined his family with a gambling addiction. And then he became a Christian, and the Bible says that when we become a Christian, when we put our faith in Christ, that Christ sends God the Holy Spirit into our lives. And so in the moment that he put his faith in Christ, and Christ sent God the Holy Spirit into his life, he stopped gambling, he lost in a second the desire to gamble. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Now we don't always talk about these things out front, and one of the reasons for that is that miracles do not follow a formula, right? We cannot guarantee these results for everybody. In fact, uh, a lot of people we pray for do not get better. Uh, There are um, a lot of people in our congregation who become Christians and have an addiction. That addiction doesn't go away in a second. They have to deal with it and work through it one day at a time. So, we don't get to control God the Holy Spirit. And yet, we can see the power of the Spirit. We can sometimes get so absorbed in our little day in and day out worlds that we lose sight of the amazing things that God is doing in this world. And I think this happens to us when we talk about the more miraculous things that God the Holy Spirit does. So, here's what I want to do today I want to spend a bulk of my sermon laying out a biblical case that the Holy Spirit empowers supernatural miracles and healing. That's the bulk of the sermon. And then at the very end, I want to tell you what the takeaway is not. And then I will ask you what your takeaway is. Does this make sense? If the outline doesn't make sense, the sermon certainly will not. All right, so let's do our long trek through the Holy Spirit empowering supernatural miracles and healing. Matthew chapter 12, this is the passage Joe read for us earlier. Now, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, you're always free to take the one in the chair as a gift to you. We would love that. The Setup and Packup team would especially love that. They deal each week with the heaviness of God's Word, so thank you. Thank you very much. They would love that. There are also free apps if you prefer a digital version but we want you to have access to the Bible. So Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is arguing with the religious leaders of His day. The argument boils down to this, through what power is Jesus doing the miraculous things that He does? So the passage begins, then they brought Him a demon possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that He could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? This is one and yet a long line of these miraculous things that Jesus has done, things that had no home remedy. Jesus steps in and heals somebody. Verse 24, But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. So, the Pharisees are some of the religious leaders of Jesus' day and time. They are often at odds with Jesus. They are very concerned about how Jesus is performing these miracles, especially how he is driving out demons. You'll notice they don't doubt that people are actually being healed, they don't think the healings are a put on. Their their concern is how is the healing happening? Now, in our day and time, we view that a little bit differently, I think, because we can turn on to the religious programming on TV and see people who seem to be able to conjure up a miracle as soon as you give them enough money, and you think, well, that could be a put-on. This is a very different situation. This is a situation where they don't debate that people are being healed, but they are arguing, how is Jesus doing these healings? And they have a theory. Jesus is in cahoots with Beelzebub. Which is uh, generally, by most scholars, thought to just be another name for Satan. Some of a, a, a minority think that it's Satan's second in command, but generally people think it's a different name for Satan. It continues Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How, can, how then can His kingdom stand? Now, you may be familiar with President Lincoln's quote uh, about the Civil War, that a house divided cannot stand. Well, now you know what he knew, which is that he was quoting Jesus. Jesus came up with that expression. Jesus has the trademark on that one too. So, if you have ever used that expression but have not paid Jesus any royalties. We're going to be passing the offering basket here in a few minutes. I always love to hear the response to that. People are like, should I be concerned or laugh? Maybe I should do both. So, Jesus' point is, how am I doing these miracles? Well, if I'm driving out demons by the power of a demon, that doesn't make any sense. Like, isn't it in the devil's best interest to not have me drive out demons? That's a good point, Jesus. So, he's getting at there's a different power by which I'm driving out these demons. He continues, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. This was a non-starter for the religious people of that day and time, because they could not bring themselves to think that Jesus would actually be from God, or that Jesus would actually be God, that the God of the universe had wrapped Himself in human flesh and moved into the neighborhood. But when we read this, it gives us a really interesting interpretive key to the rest of Jesus' ministry. For instance, we learn in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Then later on it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So the Scripture is showing us that Jesus in His earthly ministry was full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Holy Spirit, and was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then he's confronted by these religious leaders, how are you doing these miracles that you're doing? And he says this, if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So by what power does Jesus drive out demons? By what power does Jesus do miraculous things more generally? By the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of God the Holy Spirit. This may be a different way for some of us to think about the life of Jesus, that when you think about the life of Jesus, when you look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, it is hard to separate out where Jesus stops and where the Holy Spirit starts, because they worked in such close tandem. They worked so closely together, and Jesus understood His miraculous abilities to come from the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus points out that because He does miraculous things in the power of the Spirit, that means God's kingdom has broken through. God's kingdom has come upon you. This is a really helpful way to think about miracles. Because you can't demand a miracle. You you can't bottle a miracle and sell it. So, Jesus' way of encouraging us to think about miracles is that miracles, the miraculous things that Jesus does and that the Spirit does through followers of Jesus, the miraculous things are instances where God's kingdom breaks through. They are little tastes of what eternity with God will be like. In a place where there is no suffering, where there is no pain, where there is no death, We live in a world that that is warped. We live in a world that is not as it should be. We live in a world where we we see the brokenness of it. But every once in a while, sometimes without warning, God's kingdom breaks through. And you realize what eternity with God will be like. You taste it, if only for a moment. Now, the hard part of all this is that not everybody today gets healed. Not every sickness goes away. As TJ said earlier, part of what is a congregation we're living with right now is that people we love die. This is a hard reality of living in this world. If you have never had to confront it, one day you will. You will pray for someone to get better, and they will not get better. But you know, the same was true in Jesus' day. Jesus did not heal everybody in His day. So, the people then had to live with the same thing. It's a hard reality in a broken world. But even in our broken world, sometimes the kingdom of God breaks through. The kingdom of God breaks through in a clear and an undeniable way. You and I will taste what God's kingdom is truly like. It is God the Holy Spirit who empowers these bursts of God's kingdom. Okay, let's check in. So here to four, here thus far, what I've tried to do is lay out that we know that Jesus can do miraculous things, and that He did them by the power of the Holy Spirit. But what does that have to do with followers of Jesus? So now we're going to go back to elementary school. We are going to put on our compare and contrast hat. You remember this exercise you did in grade school? let us compare and contrast. I'm going to read you two passages from the Bible. We are going to compare and contrast. The first is from the life of Jesus. The second is from one of Jesus' followers. Mark chapter 5, then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha ka'um, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. So Jesus does this miraculous thing through the power of the Holy Spirit. Who is in the room when it happens? The father, the mother, James, John, and Peter, kind of three of the chief disciples, the chief early followers. Okay. Years later, after the resurrection of Jesus, after Jesus has transformed the world, after Jesus has unleashed His followers to keep transforming the world, after Jesus has given His followers God the Holy Spirit to empower them, this happened, Acts chapter 9. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name was Dorcas. Now, we should just stop here and acknowledge that the first day of school would not be any fun at all if your name was Dorcas. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name was Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lida was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lida, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. Now, wait a minute. Doesn't that sound familiar? I mean, imagine you're Peter. Okay, imagine you're Peter. You you are walking through all these mourners, and you are led into this room, this dark little room where dim light is sneaking through a heavy cloth over the window, and there is someone's body lying on the bed. You send everybody out. You are alone in the room. It is just you and the body of this beloved woman, a a follower of Jesus named Tabitha. She was always doing good and helping the poor. And almost in like this flashback moment, you realize, I've been here before. This is really familiar. Except at that time, it was the body of a 12-year-old girl on the bed. And I, Peter, was standing way back. Me and James and John were standing way back, hoping Jesus did not call on us to do anything. And Jesus approached the bed, and then came those words, Talitha, which means little girl, Talitha, get up. But now Jesus has returned to heaven, and there's nobody in the room but you, Peter, and the body is not of Talitha, but of Tabitha." And you can't imagine that similarity was lost on Peter, right? Almost like this little moment of Jesus saying, I'm still watching out for you, I'm still here with you, I've prepared you for this, you've got this. But here comes the important difference between the contrast. Whereas Jesus just walked up to the bed and said, get up. That's not what Peter does. What does it say Peter did? He got on his knees and prayed. Because you have to imagine, I mean, again, think about this from Peter's perspective. He's in Lydda. He he may be on vacation in Lydda. Actually, when you read before, he's not on vacation. But He's enjoying himself, he's spending time with some of the other Christians there, and then these people come and say, our beloved friend Tabitha has died, she's in the next town down, can you please come? It doesn't say they went to get him in hopes that he would raise Tabitha from the dead. It just says they wanted Peter there. I mean, because you could imagine this, if a beloved person has passed away and Peter walked with Jesus, he can come here, he can comfort us. Maybe Jesus said some words that'll be comforting to us. Just get Peter here, or at the very least, having Peter here will be, be a way to honor Tabitha's life. She's been such an important person in our community. Just get Peter here. So, they go to get Peter. And Peter's walking through all the mourners, He's in the room. He sends everybody out, and that's sort of when I imagine he realizes, oh, my gosh, I've been here before, and her name is one letter different, and so the Bible says he got on his knees and he prayed. Now, we don't know exactly what he prayed, but I imagine it went a little something like this, God, I see what you're doing, but you have to do the hard parts, amen. And Then he got up, and he walked up to the bed. I just imagine this burned in his mind what it meant to follow Jesus, because he walked up to the bed. That's where Jesus was standing. I'm standing where Jesus is standing. I'm doing what Jesus did. I'm His follower. I'm His hands and feet in this world still. He walks up beside the bed and I just imagine he closes his eyes swallows hard and says Tabitha Tab Tabitha get up And after what seems like an eternity her eyes open like someone awakening from a deep sleep. And the widows in Joppa celebrated her. Many people in Joppa put their faith in Christ because of what had happened. But part of the point that this story is trying to make is that Tabitha was not the only one in the room whose eyes were open that day. Peter's eyes were open that day too, like someone coming out of a deep sleep. And he realized that what Jesus and the Spirit did together, followers of Jesus and the Spirit can do together. And there is a difference. There is a huge important difference, which is that Jesus walked in the room with the authority, but the, Peter had to pray and ask for it. That is a very important difference, But the point being, Jesus gives His followers power through the Holy Spirit to make God's kingdom burst through. That's the point. Jesus gives His followers power through God the Holy Spirit to make God's kingdom burst through. Sometimes God's kingdom bursts through the brokenness of our world. Sometimes God's kingdom bursts through the way that our world is warped. Jesus and the Spirit did this all the time in the ministry of Jesus, but the surprising thing is that through prayer, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' followers can cooperate with the Holy Spirit to do similar things, and we can underplay that fact we can underplay that fact and some of its more dynamic results in Western civilization. And I'm encouraging us not to do that. I'm encouraging us to open our hearts and to open our minds to the fact that something bigger is happening here. God is doing something more in this world than what we can intellectually get our brains around. So, this is not the takeaway of this sermon. Are you ready for not the takeaway? here it is, not the takeaway. If you are connected enough to God, you can heal or accomplish anything. That is not the takeaway. If you are connected enough to God, you can heal anything, heal anybody, accomplish anything. Once people start to learn about the power of the Holy Spirit in the Bible, they can reach this very unhelpful conclusion, which is this. Well, I'm praying for somebody, or I'm praying for something, and it's not happening. That must mean I'm not close enough to God. If only I were close enough to God, if only I had enough faith, all these things I'm praying for would be happening. All these miracles would be happening. So that line of thinking suffers from one problem. and I'm going to tell you what it is. The problem is is that it is wrong. It is incorrect. That's its problem. It's a very small easy to state problem but it has big implications. It's just wrong. Because that's not how God operates. That's not how God's grace operates. Miracles are not something you earn. Miracles are not something that you can just sort of conjure up or be achieved by following a formula. Miracles are a gift. Miracles are grace. You don't earn them. You don't deserve them. They're just a gift. Sometimes, without warning, without announcement, God's kingdom will break through. By the power of the Holy Spirit, sometimes miracles happen, and the kingdom of God bursts through. So, if that's not the takeaway, what should be your takeaway? Well, I'm going to ask you what your takeaway is, but I'm going to give you a place to start. Romans 8.11 says this, "'If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you.'" So Jesus changed the world when He was raised from the dead. Jesus changed the world when He burst out of the grave. And if you are a follower of Jesus, or if you ever become a follower of Jesus, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit into your life. And the power by which Jesus burst out of the grave is the same power, the same Spirit that lives in you as a follower of Jesus. Let's not underplay that. Let's not lose sight of that in the midst of our day-to-day. Let's not settle for trifling things. Let's not settle for trifling lives. Let's not be afraid to acknowledge, even in this fine town where one in three people have a master's degree, that one of the Holy Spirit's chief roles is to give power to Christians. The Holy Spirit gives power to people who follow Jesus, the power to persevere. The power to pray for miracles. Even at times, the power to heal. The power to change. The power to never be the same again. Jesus lived by the power of the Spirit. Jesus resurrected by the power of the Spirit. And when you follow Jesus, that same Spirit lives in you. So this is my question for you as I wrap up, this is my promised question, here it is. What is your takeaway from our discussion of God the Holy Spirit as the one who empowers supernatural miracles and healing? What is your takeaway? I've told you what your takeaway should not be, but what is your takeaway? There comes a point in our lives where we reach a point and we realize, I cannot go any further on my own power. I need a power greater than myself to keep moving forward. I need a power greater than myself to get me uh, through or out of this situation or to help me persevere through this situation. I need a power greater than myself to solve this situation or if it won't get solved, to help me get through it. So from a Christian's perspective, that power has a name. The name is God the Holy Spirit. But God the Holy Spirit is not a carnival sideshow. God the Holy Spirit is not this thing I can bottle and sell to you when you need it most. God the Holy Spirit is available to those who follow Jesus, who've put their faith in Jesus. But once you've put your faith in Jesus, the Spirit is in your life. Even when you do a horrible job of following Jesus, the Spirit is still in your life. And it's about how tightly He's holding on to you, not how tightly you're holding on to Him. So, I just am thankful to the billions of Christians around the world who, when you were to say, we're doing a series on the Holy Spirit, they'd say, you've got to talk about how He empowers the miraculous. Because once you leave Western civilization and you say the Holy Spirit, that's what you're going to hear about. I'm just getting you excited for when that happens. But even here in Western civilization, we have this sense that we need power that that we don't possess. God makes it available to us in a relationship through Christ who gives us the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, to talk to God about whatever He's stirring in your heart or in your mind. Perhaps this message today and the songs today hit you just where you are. Perhaps they're a very different thing than what you were expecting, but wherever you are today, whatever God's stirring in you, just talk to God about it. Lord, I do thank You that people who follow Christ, that Christians exist in so many cultures, so many parts of the world, and we as Christians sitting in Davidson, North Carolina, and as those exploring the Christian faith in Davidson, North Carolina, We have so much to learn from them. So, I pray You'd give us open minds and open hearts to learn from people in very different situations than us. I thank You for the example we see in the life of Peter, the way that he was open to what you might be doing in the world around him even when he needed you to do all the hard parts. So, Lord, I pray for our congregation that you would give each of us the power that we need. Sometimes, Lord, just the power to get through the day, the power to have hope, the power to not give up or to give in to discouragement, the power to keep praying for someone or for ourselves. Lord, if You ever give us that gift of getting to have something supernatural or miraculous happen through one of our prayers or through our touch or whatever, I pray we would not imagine that away. But it would turn us more towards You. Lord, some of us come in here today just at a dead end. We, We don't know how to continue on. We don't know where to go from here. We truly need power greater than ourselves. And so in these final songs, perhaps we will open up our lives to Jesus Christ, invite Him in, and in doing so, receive the Holy Spirit. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.